welcome to Cosmic You, the podcast where we explore the depths of spirituality, self-discovery, and the mysteries of the universe. I'm Holly. And I'm Bree. Through our journey, we've discovered that the universe is a reflection of our inner selves, and by exploring the cosmos, we can discover new insights which guide us to unlock our true potential. Each week, we'll be diving into a new topic related to spirituality, inviting guests along the way who are experts and thought leaders in their field to join us to share their unique insights and perspectives. Throughout conversations, we hope to inspire you to discover the sacred within yourself and the world around you. We are so excited to embark on this journey with you. Welcome to Cosmic You. Welcome back to another episode of Cosmic You, the podcast. This episode is actually episode number 20, which is quite exciting. Uh, So we thought today, because we wouldn't be here on episode 20 if it wasn't for all of you and our listeners, so we're actually doing a bit of a Q&A with our listeners, those of you that have sent in questions um, over the last couple of weeks. We're going to answer them all in this podcast episode for you. I'm really excited. It's so nice that some of you have um, written in and we've actually received one little voice memo, which we're really excited about because it feels like you're here in the studio with us, which is always a bit of a treat. Shall we just dive straight on in? I think so. Yeah. Let's do it. So this question and sort of contemplation as well came from our latest episode. So episode 19, if you haven't listened to that um, for context, you can go back and listen to it, um, either pause this one or when you finish listening to this one. Uh, So that episode was all around uh, unlocking the power of our authentic self, which, you know, is a huge topic. And this person wrote in and said, authenticity is tricky. How do you be authentic when you hardly know yourself or when you realize who you thought you were is just a collection of defense and fear? So Mm. that's kind of the tricky bit. When when I heard this, I straight away thought about all of my divination tools, right? And this is kind of how I ended up starting out in numerology in the first place because I felt like I had so many filters on. Do you mean I had so many, um, I'd collected so many, I don't know, masks from all these different people that I would connect with and I was just trying to work out how I fit in and what's authentic to me and how to discover that. And for me, it was a bit of a combination of, seeing this sacred reflection back through like different divination tools, like numerology, astrology, the gene keys, things like this. But then not just hearing about this, like taking it and trying it on and like feeling into it, into my body and actually starting to notice the subtleties of like what feels good for me and authentic and what doesn't. And I think that, that, that was kind of my journey to finding my authentic path was yeah through tools but also through that embodiment practice how's it kind of played out for you I guess it's probably a bit different from a yogi kind of point of view yeah no I completely agree and resonate with everything that you're saying and I had goosebumps in like one thing I literally can't remember what it is I'll have to listen back but like I got goosebumps because I was like that's literally exactly it and I think like Mm -hmm. 
you know, your authentic self, you know, is inherently there, but we can't expect it just to be on show constantly all the time. Because like you said, there's so many experiences we go through in life that we create masks and filters to protect ourselves. And sometimes like we're literally not even aware we're doing that until maybe years later when we start trying to go, actually, you know, because I think we all have, you know, not just one moment, I think many moments in our life where we go, hang on, who am I? Like this version of me that I'm can feel I'm moving towards no longer resonates with that version of me that I was maybe a year ago. And you start to kind of feel like you're straddling Mm. versions of yourself a little bit, which, you know, is actually what life is all about. And that's what evolving is all about, which if we're alive, we're all evolving. Like that's just, you know, a fact of life. Um, And, you know, something that we spoke about on yoga training a couple of weeks ago with the Samkhya philosophy is by the time we even are conceived, we've literally already gone through so many dense layers Um, that are placed over our soul. So it is actually, you know, harder to access that authentic self. Um, But I also think that's a big purpose that we all have in life is to actually move through the world in a way where we're questioning and we're inquiring and we're uncovering who we are. Because otherwise, I don't think we would go through as many lessons in life if we were just sort of like, I'm five years old and I know exactly who I am and that's going to stay the same until I'm 85 years old. (laughs) Um, I think, (laughs) right. I mean, we wouldn't have a podcast. Neither of us would probably have jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Life, you know, would not be as interesting. And, you know, on the other hand of that, it does make things hard. And, you know, like this person who wrote in said, authenticity is tricky. Um, Completely, completely agree with that. And, I think, you know, who I thought my authentic self was five years ago is different to now who my authentic self is now. And I also think we only have so much access to parts of ourselves at any given time. And it's our Mm. job to keep gaining more and more access to our authentic self. And especially I love what you said, Brie, about like all these divination tools because I completely agree. There's, you know, when you have these questions of life, like who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? All of these systems and divination tools Mm. actually do uncover that for you because it's literally like a reflection of your soul in language that you can Mm. kind of comprehend and understand. And it's, if you've ever like, done astrology or maybe you've done a numerology reading with Brie before, you'll actually be like, oh, I see myself. And I see myself not through the filter of my own ego and my own masks, but actually all those filters taken off. And I think, oh, that's what I got goosebumps with. (laughs) When you're like, you know, take things that you learn from those divination tools and try them on and use it as like a Mm. relative thing. Like, does this feel more authentic or does this feel more authentic? And it doesn't necessarily have Mm. to be like, this thing feels 100% authentically me, so I know. It might just be, this thing feels, you know, 60% more authentic than this version of me. And that's just like your guiding, guiding point. I think what's really important to remember as well is as we, we're not meant to have all of the answers in every moment. Like this is an unfolding 
this yeah. is a journey and we're not meant to get to the final destination Dumin, for quite a while and we go through different iterations of self and the truer you can be to yourself that's that's when the authenticity comes in so by understanding your divine nature the the genes that dropped into your body at the exact moment that you were born like do you mean a snapshot of the sky of of the sacred geometry of of the vibrations that was existing in that exact moment when your soul chose to come into earth has so many messages for us and that's something i'm really starting to dig into at the moment is that just like the universe has all of these sacred geometry patterns, these sacred codes, these energy centers, its own chakras, its own expression, depending on what part of the world you're in, that's exactly like us. And as we journey through life and as we unlock different aspects of our soul, these different parts that are authentic come in. But ultimately, we can't be anyone but ourselves. So... Jimin, I think as well, we just need to be kind to ourselves and be like, I'm turning up in the best possible way that I can in this moment, Jimin, despite what's going on, Jimin, despite what you, what filters you've had to put on because you feel like you need to, it's still, we're still turning up and being, doing the best version that we can be in that moment. I really believe that. Completely. And I think like exactly we need to be kinder to ourselves and give ourselves more grace because, yeah. you know, just because we don't, you know, we might have moments where you kind of reflect back and you're like, oh, I don't know if I acted in my whole complete self in that moment. That's okay. Like you just had that moment of awareness yeah. to know now, oh, that, you know, I'm self-reflecting and contemplating that that wasn't completely me. So now I know that gives me more information about a little bit more of what my authentic self actually is, which is not that. So I think unless we, if we're not making, you know, moments in life where we don't feel authentic, we won't ever know what is not authentic to be able to practice authenticity more. hundred percent. I had to go through my rocker girl phase to know that that wasn't me, but I had to try it on first. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Who knows? (laughs) I, I can see it. And I think like you have to let yourself, like you said, literally like try it all on, try this version of yourself on. Maybe you love it. Maybe you don't like at the end of the day, like no one's testing you. You're not like writing an exam on this, that you're literally going to get penalized if you aren't your authentic self. Mm. You know, there's no, um, like there's no end date of like when you need to know who you authentically are, like your purpose has no expiry and your potential will always be realized if you just keep showing up for yourself. And I think like, that's a key. You do have to, you know, although we have all of these masks and filters on and that's inevitable because we're human, we still have to practice breaking them down. It's not just kind of like hope that one day my authentic self will pop up. Like we have to keep showing up Mm. for that version of like that aspect of our being so that we even feel safe enough to drop into our authentic self. Um, Time and consistency and commitment, I think is, and grace is just important. Yeah. Because honestly, in every single system you look into, 
there are there it's not like we just have one shadow aspect we have layers of shadows do you mean that we are here to work through to heal to overcome to transcend so that we can lift into the gift and it's that, that's so beautiful that we we get these experiences come to us so that we can up level so that our soul can keep you know keep on keeping on keep on this trajectory back to source back to this divine oneness and what was really cool this thing that I read this week is that I think a lot of us get caught up in the fear that we're expressing ourselves wrong or I've taken what if I take the wrong next step or things like this and in one of the um, teachings that I was reading this week, it said there's no such thing as a wrong step. Do you mean we? It's just a step, and our soul is going to the universe is going to curate the experiences that we need to aid our evolution, as long as we remain aware and conscious and committed to to our journey. That's all we have to do, as long as we can keep turning up and surrendering to each moment, then honestly, I think that's all we really need to do as these synchronicities come in, just trust that, you know, feel into your body, start to get that deeper connection with your body so that as things present, you know, if it's a test or if you know, it's a, do you know I mean? a, a step forward and yeah, I think feeling into that. And like you were saying, I think we talked about this early on in the podcast. You were talking about how you can kind of start to dance with your intuition a bit more. And you said, you know, just even driving home, you can feel into, oh, do I want to take this turn? Or should I order this? And just feel into it when it feels safe and small and manageable so you can start to build that trust with your body and with your with your higher self as well. Completely. I have like a few final thoughts on this. One of them is that I think with finding that authentic version of ourself, we have certain ideas about what this type of person is like, you know, the person who's a yogi, they have to fit in this box and they're only authentically that if they fit into all of the things that I perceive a yogi should be. So if I think that that's what I am, which, you know, a yogi, we can actually just attach and label ourselves to that identity too, which can keep us stuck anyway. So those labels and roles that we play in life, they can actually stop us from finding our authentic self because we think that two aspects of our self can't exist at the same time. Like we might have this approach of like, well, if I'm this person and I love these things, but I also enjoy this stuff, then both of those can't exist or be true at the same time. And it's like, well, actually they can. It's because you see someone else over there having that authentic expression of them that looks kind of similar to you. You might try and mold yourself into them because you think that's what an authentic expression of that version of yourself is. And I think sometimes we can really stop ourselves from actually exploring all of the parts of us that we truly love and want to nurture because we think they're conflicting to other versions of ourselves. So I think like, as you're exploring your authenticity, just notice when you find maybe like guilt or shame or like this feeling of like, Oh, that's a conflict to this other part of myself, whether or not it's just because you have an idea or, you know, a preconceived uh, perception of what that version of you should look like. 
And I think that's kind of key to, because we can't really box ourselves into one version of reality because no, there's just too many things at play. Like, you know, if you look at your numerology, if you look at your astrology, there's so many aspects of you that are divine and, you know, divine in nature and they're meant to all be there. It's kind of like if you look at astrology and you want to only focus on your sun sign, there might be other, um, you know, aspects in your chart that are actually quite opposite to the expression of your sun sign, but they have to be there for you to even be authentically you. Otherwise you're squashing other aspects of yourself because you think all you are is your sun sign. Um, I think on that as well is that if you look at your astrology chart, you've got all of the houses and all of the houses tell you like represent a different area of your life. We're not meant to turn up in the same way in every aspect of our life. Otherwise we'd just have one sign, like you said. Yeah. So do mean understanding your nature to a certain depth really allows you to be like, okay, cool. At work, I need to turn up like this. And in my relationship, this is my natural state. These are the shadows that are going to come up for me here. And I think that's empowering too, because it's, it's, it's reflected back. It truly is like how you need to turn up to unlock your radiance, your essence, your purpose, your, your life path. It's all there in front of you. If you are willing to look for it and to like sit with it and to really own the aspects of yourself that feel uncomfortable because we all have shadows, even though on Instagram we try and pretend, you know, <laughs> we've got it all together. <laughs> I mean, that's how, how it all works, isn't it? <laughs> that's a really good point, Hall. Mm. I can't remember what my other final note was, so that'll be my final note on it. <laughs> what was the second question that that person th- sent in? This one was around Reiki. Uh, and the question was if mm-hmm. Reiki is used to unblock chakras. Yeah. Unblocking chakras. I have two. Absolutely. Yeah. I have like, because I practice in Reiki and then I also practice in yoga, which sometimes the view of the chakras in those two systems can actually be conflicting. <laughs> and I guess like uh-huh. this is kind of even speaking yeah. back to authenticity is like you can have conflicting ideas, but also those conflicting ideas can actually still keep revealing layers of yourself anyway. Mm -hmm. And like neither has to be right or wrong. They can coexist together. But do you want to start on on your kind of take on this? I'm kind of similar to you. The more I dig into it, like I think the short answer is yes. Do you mean like Reiki is used to bring balance back to our energy chakras? I think how for me personally, how I've seen them represented and expressed, um, changes depending on what system you're using and so for me it's almost like an intuitive thing I've I've found that each client that I've worked with I adjust my practice organically like naturally depending on what they need and like I kind of just gravitate to those areas or do and move my hands in different ways and sometimes they will start shaking and I mean, every, every healing experience is different, but ultimately I think what, what I try to do at at least in my practice is to, um, firstly, just unlock and bring balance and healing back to those, to your energy body, whatever you want to call it, chakras or 
just all all we are is energy. So we're just trying to bring balance back, open them back up. Do you mean so they can like first first we go in so we can go back out, I guess. That's my my take on it. So we head into the chakras and we feel into it. We feel what's going on in there. What's, what's maybe getting a bit stuck. What, what emotions haven't we allowed to remain in motion and move through us that have, you know, made blocks in our energetic system that are stopping us from being in this flow state. And I try and go inward and connect to those and then try to then open them back out so that they can connect from more of a balanced, aligned place to the rest of the world, given expanding their aura and things like that. So I guess that's my roundabout take on it. How about you? So completely agree with what you say, and then I'm going to add to it as well. Mm. So my belief is that no one else can unblock something for us Like in Reiki, what I feel like I'm doing is creating an environment so that that person starts to, you know, realign their energy body so that these things adjust and, you know, break down themselves, which I know is exactly how you would approach it as well. Um, But I just thought it was worth mentioning that, you know, when you come to Reiki or any, yeah, any healing modality, you know, even yoga, when people say to me like, oh my God, that class was so good. You made me feel so great. And I was like, I didn't do anything. I said all of the things and you chose to apply all of those techniques inside of yourself. And so you did the work. Like you could have easily have come to class and just been like, meh, not really going to do that. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. Not going to be here. Not going to be present. And I think it's the same in Reiki or energy healing modality is our capacity to actually be with the experience and interface with our, our internal self is what is truly healing. It's not really about someone else doing the healing for you. It's that person getting you into a space where you actually start to explore these more subtle realms of who you are. Um, and then with the yogic take on chakras, and again, even within like a yogic system, depending on which tradition you're in, there can be many more chakras or like less chakras, depending on just where it comes from. So I think, um, this is where it's, you know, it's don't get like bogged down in this one says this and this one says that it's just all can be right. And you find which one or which approach you enjoy the most, because that'll be the thing that's most healing to you anyway. Cause you, you know, will give yourself to it a little bit more. Um, in yoga, these, the chakras aren't necessarily something that we view as opening, it's more of a, we dissolve the chakras and we dissolve the influence of the chakras. So that Kundalini energy or Shakti can rise upward through the spine. And there's a central channel called Sushumna Nadi, and that needs to be opened for energy to rise upward through the spine. So for that to happen, the chakras actually need to dissolve, not necessarily like open or be unblocked, unblocked but we actually dissolve them so energy just continues to go up and up and up if that makes sense mm-hmm. which is really fascinating because it's, it's so interesting yeah. yeah so different um and I equally love both uh systems um and I just use them in completely different ways because I think what's really beautiful about 
um, Reiki is that it gives you this amazing insight to your emotional self and your emotional state. Um, it definitely gives insight into your mental state. And I think, you know, you can definitely feel in Reiki where someone's energy is no longer moving, like, or where it's overpowered somewhere in their body. Like you can feel that it's, you know, things and sensations literally change. Um, and also, you know, we have wheels and little discs of energy everywhere in the body. (laughs) So, you know, you've got those in a certain system, it might be those main seven chakra points along the spine in other systems, they might be in different places or represented slightly differently. But like you said, Brie, like everything is energy and it can be, Mm. that means it's everywhere inside of you, not just along those particular points. Um, Mm. but yeah, I mean, I think Reiki can, yeah, absolutely help with that exploration of the chakras and yoga can help with that. And, um, And I've had an osteo that's spoken about chakras before. Like, I mean, they kind of go across so many things. And I think the best thing we can do is just, yeah, again, try it on, see what feels good for you, what makes sense to you, what intuitively you feel pulled towards. And at the end of the day, I think if it's healing and we're getting close to ourselves, does it matter if our chakras are blocked or unblocked? You know what I mean? I think ultimately with everything, it's all intention, right? Yeah. Whatever intention you take into that room, whether it's a yoga room, a Reiki room, a numerology reading room, it's the intention that you set. It all goes back to the all is mind. You mean the world is mental. And so whatever like you were saying, it's such a good point. I'm glad you said it. Like, and I say it a lot, especially in coaching, because a lot of people are like, how are you going to transform my life? I'm like, well, I'm not, mm. I'm not, you are, that's, that's you. You get to choose what you do with your life. You get to choose every single aspect of your experience. And I think that that's really important message to get out there is if you set the intention whatever it is, to be in alignment, to bring balance to your being, to do mean the intention for the session might be to connect to your higher self. But it it is all down to that intention setting really. It's like what Kristen was saying when we did Navaratri the other week. It's not about getting every single aspect of your practice right. It's about the intention. It's about the devotion. And I think that kind of comes into play a bit with all these systems, even though they're conflicting, you can, you're still going to get what you want out of it. Completely. And I think like Mm. the intention, like you said, is so important because, and more about like that devotional quality that you mentioned, because if we kind of go into anything and we're like, I want to unblock my chakras if we hold that so tightly as like the thing that we're attached to being the outcome, then we'll completely miss the experience that we're meant to have as well. Mm. Because we're just like, I want this to happen. And like, you know, even in yoga, like to start really dissolving your chakras, like that's work. And that is, 
you know, not everyone's doing that kind of practice. It's not, you know, these things, we don't just lightly move into them. Like it's, you know, they're Mm. things and, um, kind of like what we were getting at before, like we've got a whole life ahead of us to keep unraveling certain parts of ourselves. And, you know, maybe the chakras is something that the energy body actually isn't even ready to explore yet. You know, like there's a lot of power Mm. inside of us. And, um, I think we always just have to meet ourselves where we are and the devotion, I think that you said is like the best way to meet ourselves where we are and also to meet the moment, which is where the greatest healing happens anyway. Yeah. Like how many times have you or one of your clients walked into the room and Jim, and it's good to have an intention and, and to have a direction, but sometimes your higher self or the universe has a greater plan for us. The amount of times that I personally have walked into, especially my kinesiologist, and I'm like, all right, girl, like today I want you to help me move this through my body. Like this has been coming up. Like I know exactly where we're heading in this session. And then my body and my higher self, Jim, and my guides, will they'll step in and they'll be like, actually, sweetheart, Jim, what is best for your higher self right now is to focus on this. And this aspect is actually linked to this. So we're going to walk over here first because we have to heal this part and move this part on before we can address this. And so as well, like what you were just saying, like just surrendering to the experiences is equally as important. Totally. And I think... All roads lead to Rome, I'd say. (laughs) Oh, mate, get me on the road to Rome. I'm signing up. I don't, I don't want spiritual liberation. I want to go to Rome every day of my life. (laughs) I want to eat pizza and pasta and wander around that ancient city. God. Then I hope that my pocket's blocked, right? (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think when we're, you know, on this healing journey, which, you know, we have conversations all the time. I've had a lot of this conversation this week, actually, where we're like, you know, oh, it's actually really hard once, you know, it's like, God, wouldn't it be easier to have that life where you actually didn't know? And it's like, sometimes you do find yourself wondering that. Um, and I think when we are, you know, walking a path of trying to uncover all of that stuff, we do think that having achieved something in particular means we're more successful or moving further along. And I think that's what we can kind of maybe apply to the chakras is like, oh, if my chakras are like open and, you know, that I'm doing a better job than, you know, that person who's got a blocked chakra or whatever. And it's like, actually, I don't think those things are really measures of success of your healing journey or of your path. I think I've, I think I've said this before on the podcast is like the greatest measure of success of anything that you're doing is how is your life? Like, are you happy are you satisfied? Do you feel inspired? Are you also able on the other hand to feel the full emotion of life as well? Like, are you able to be in sadness and be in pain and be in anger, but also still be okay and be able to experience the other moment of life that comes, you know, right after that? Um, yeah. I was talking to someone this week actually, and they said, they're so grateful when grief and sadness and those heavier emotions come and 
because it kind of tells you what's important in a way. Do you know what I mean? And when we're really sad about something, it's because we really loved that thing. Mm. And so it's about honoring not only the love we feel, but when these harder emotions come up because people leave or situations change and it's about honoring all of the emotions, all of the experience that we're here to journey through. And I just thought, wow, like that's so true. Like oftentimes when, when the emotions are, are related and like on the higher, higher side, we love them and we try and latch onto them and we just want to ride that wave. But often when it's a harder emotion, we shut down and we're kind of taught, I think as well to, not allow ourselves to fully feel those harder emotions and to cover them up and don't be seen to be a crybaby and don't cry in public and you're too sensitive and all of these things. So we start to create this belief system that we shouldn't feel everything, but all emotions are divine. And when we can just see that those emotions are separate from us and we can just allow them to be there and not attach our identity to them, life becomes a lot easier to navigate yeah. because we don't get stuck on them. They just keep flowing. Everything just keeps flowing. And I really felt that like the last week, because I've kind of been exploring these um, principles a bit more and really leaning into the embodiment of that practice just to, uh, to separate myself from the emotions as being my identity and like something personal to me and just allowing them to be. And it's been really incredible to witness how much quicker that energy moves through me when I don't attach to it. And so I just think that's worth mentioning um, off the back of all of this as well to just be a witness to to the energy that's moving around you and just knowing that we're not meant to make sense of everything. Sometimes we just wake up and we just feel a bit sadder than normal and that's totally fine. There's a lot more at play that we can't see. There is a lot of subtle energy bodies. There's a lot of higher dimming frequencies that we as humans just can't comprehend. So just trust that something's moving, something's going on, and just allow that to be there because it's meant to be and then carry on doing completely flow and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. And I think like the key takeaway from everything that you just said is like these emotions do not have to create your identity. Like that's the key piece is whatever you're going through is not a true reflection of that real aspect of you. It's just a constant change. Mm. Same way like my hair color is not my identity. The emotion that I'm going through at the time is not my identity. And I think that's where we go wrong. And like, I do it all the time too, where you're like, you know, might be going through something big and you're like, shit, that means this about me then, because you know, this is what I'm feeling. And I didn't think I'd feel that because I, my identity of who I thought I was doesn't match that emotion or, you know, that energy. Mm. Um, and I also love what you said about those big emotions that we feel that person saying they're so grateful for them because it shows you what's important to you. 
Like that, I'm like, I'm going to carry that with me now, like every day for the rest of my life because that is so beautiful. And it makes complete sense. It's a lot for me. Yeah. So nice. Like today I was feeling like so sad and like, do you mean just kind of sitting in that place of grief of, do you mean a relationship that's transitioning out of my life and instead of like being hard on myself, like why am I still sad about that? Or do you mean this negative self-talk? I just allowed that energy just to be with me and I just honoured that and honoured that connection, do you mean, and the transition that it's on and it just feels so different when you come to pain from that place, I think. Yeah, I think it gives you the capacity to be with pain while also remaining close to the part of yourself that isn't actually in pain as well. Again, like Mm. there can be these Mm -hmm. existence of both aspects of your being, like the part of you that's always changing and going through the motions of your personal world, but also everything else that's happening globally, you know, if you're tapping into that and um, then also still being able to stay connected to the part of you that is unaffected by all of that. And it doesn't mean that because you're having emotions and responses to everything that you're moving through in your life, all of the changes that there's part of you that's just like, meh, whatever, I'm detached. It's like, no, there's a part of you almost that's like holding you in all of that change and in all of that grief and pain and whatever it is. And I think when we actually truly allow ourselves to feel the pain, it's because there's, you know, a part of us inside where we know that that pain doesn't define who we are. So that part of ourself stays a little bit closer to the part of ourself that's in pain. And it just feels like, it's like really weird. It's almost like you're nourishing yourself through grief and through pain and through difficult emotions rather than feeling like I'm so alone in like this grief and pain and the emotions that I'm going through. And it it feels more difficult, I think, to move through the pain if you are disconnected from your complete self. Like pain can exist and also on Mm. the other side of pain can also be peace. It doesn't mean that they're going to definitely be there completely at the same time, but knowing that pain will pass and something else will come again, instead of like that identity of like, I am in pain or like I am grieving or I am sad. It's sadness is moving through me. Yeah. It's different. Yep. It's just energy in motion. So just allow this emotion to move through you and yeah. It's a game changer. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And we don't, again, not going to get it right every time, but in the times that we do, it feels like no, beautiful. Just had a win with it this week. Exactly. <laughs> I'll probably forget it next week. <laughs> I think sometimes like you might, you know, find yourself in those, you know, attaching to the identities of emotions, maybe for a long period of time. And then ne- the next time you might like have a moment of awareness when you realized you were attaching your identity to it and then 10 minutes later you're good again like so I think there's always just this yeah there's always a moving point and like you said before like we can't expect to be perfect all the time and get it right every time like we wouldn't have anything to chat about this um, could potentially be leading into our next question (laughs) (laughs) might be a bit of a stretch but (laughs) I'll start steering us that way perfect so 
Another question that we had um, came in via voice memo from our Scottish friend. Um, So we'll play that for you now and then we'll jump in and answer the questions that he has. So this actually came up as a discussion uh, when I was seeing my friends in London. So I, I think the first topic was how do you maintain a close connection in a distance relationship. I mean, what's interesting is, you know, you can sometimes be with people and they could be sitting right next to you, but you feel so disconnected from them. Like, if you think about it, when you're arguing with someone, why do we shout? It's because we don't feel close to someone. So it's like we're shouting to almost make up for that. You know, but the person's right next to you. You don't need to shout to be heard. But yeah, you can talk to someone when there's a big physical distance and you feel so close to them. So... I guess my question is, how do you maintain a close and meaningful connection in a relationship where there is physical distance? And then the second point that we were discussing was the value of having time to yourself within a relationship. I guess like when people are really busy, you know, when everyone's working full time, you've got uh, not just your relationship to juggle, but you've got hobbies, family, friends, you know, you've got responsibilities to your own, you know, flat or house and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, life can get on top of it sometimes. And then it's almost like you're giving your partner scraps, right? Like you're not giving the best version of yourself. So, yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that too. So we'll jump into the first part which was all around the duality of long-distance feeling connection and then closeness in proximity but feeling the distance. This is very... I think it's like part of my brain is going to like, you know, it all comes down to actually how we're feeling inside of ourselves because that will determine the experience that we have externally. Like part of my brain is going there. And then the other part of me is I'm like, that is true but also like it kind of is not that simple also at the same time I think or maybe it is I don't know yeah there's definitely a lot of complexity in this and it's obviously going to be a bit circumstantial as well totally there's a lot to be said about being close to someone and still not being seen heard valued everything we're talking about last week and I think it comes up a lot for people because once we enter a cycle of not feeling seen and heard and loved. We start evidence stacking against against that belief. And once you start perpetuating that belief, then that's all you're able to see. So even if someone's sitting there next to you, but you have been feeding this belief for a while that they don't appreciate me, they don't love me, they don't respect my opinion, it can be quite hard to unpack that without being vulnerable and really allowing yourself to authentically express what you're feeling, not just what you're thinking, and not just expressing what you think they want you to hear. And I think a lot of this as well as linked to feeling safe and secure in the connection. Because if you don't feel like, and your evidence stack that it's not safe for me to express how I'm feeling, you're naturally going to close down. You're not going to tell that person what you truly feel because you know it's going to be met with resistance. So this one's kind of a little bit harder to unpack without knowing the um, 
full energetics at play, mm-hmm. but I think it does all just come back to ultimately, yeah, that, that scene heard love importance in in our connection. I think there's also an aspect to it where it's like, you know, when we're in physical presence with someone, we're naturally just like how we show up in the world anywhere physically is we're naturally going to be very aware of like certain limitations or even like filters and masks that we were talking about. Like if I'm showing up in like my body, there's just more dense layers of me and there's more dense layers of that other person in front of me. So we might be communicating in a more dense and even potentially fear-based way. But if there is distance, we have to rely energetically to communicate and to connect. Like we're not in physical presence. So I think the parts of ourselves that we rely on to communicate, to be heard and also to listen are more subtle and I think that can be the challenge sometimes in, you know, that experience that we all have from time to time of feeling like I'm surrounded by people, but I'm so alone. It's because I think it's harder for us sometimes if we're not being aware, like, let's just say there's just two people, but then, you know, add 10 people in a group situation. Everyone's got these filters and these masks on and you're like, hello, is anybody in there? Like, I don't actually feel connected to anyone because it's like tap, tap, tap. Like, where's the real you underneath all of that? Um, And I think we can feel other people being that way and we can like feel ourselves being that way. And I think that's where the disconnect really happens because there's part of us that's sensing no one's being their true self right now. Like there's, and again, I think it's just when we're showing up in the physical world in these meat suits, um, there's going to be parts of ourselves that are harder to access, but when we're not in a physical space, with a person, like even you and I right now, like, you know, we're not actually together. <laughs> we're relying on more subtle things. What? Yeah. What? what? Together? Um, we're relying on more subtle things to communicate and to listen. And our true self and our intuitive self is more subtle in nature. So I think that's where and why we can actually feel more connected in distance and I think distance, you know, maybe it's that cliche thing of like, when there's distance, you miss someone, you appreciate them more because they're not just there all the time. And that's not tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think when something is so tangible, it's just like, well, what? It's immovable. It'll be there forever, right? Like if I can actually grab a hold of yeah. like my phone, I'm like, it's tangible. But if even think about like when you don't have your phone, you're like, there's my phone. I've got to find it. Like you kind of just like hone in on where is this thing? And I think maybe like, when I reflect on, you know, my experience, I think that can be, can be where it's sometimes easier to connect by distance. I think you make a good point because when you're, when you're going home to someone every single night, you just take that for granted. But when you're via distance, you both have to turn up and put in the effort. And it feels good when someone puts in the effort to make sure that you're feeling loved and heard and appreciated. And I think that's probably a really big, big player in this is just not becoming, what's that word? Um, complacent. Like complacent. Just complacent. Yes. Complacent. Not becoming complacent with your partner just because they're there. I think having that bit of distance, even if it's like they work shift work, so you keep crossing over. Yeah. I mean, the days that you do get to see them, it's like, woo, what a win. Yeah, totally. It's like a treat. Yeah, 
I think we want to make the most of that time. Totally. And I think like we mistake physical presence for like actual presence sometimes. Yeah. It's like that book with Jay Shetty that we're reading and he speaks about like majority of couples, their quality time is sitting in front of a TV together. Wild. And he speaks about, he speaks about like how that's actually the lowest form of quality time that you could actually have with someone. And if that's all you ever do as a couple, or even if it's 80% of what you do as a couple, you will not continue to grow. Your intimacy will fade. Your connection will fade because you are not fostering that connection. Yeah. Just because it was there once doesn't mean it's going to stick around. You both have to commit to it. Yep. And I think think that book is really valuable. Totally. And I think like, you know, typically in the beginning of relationships, you have like movie nights, you go on like movie dates and I can think back to like, you know, going on dates with my husband, like going to the movies. And I'm like, I remember like not really paying attention to the movie because I was just so aware that he was there, you know? And I like wanted to like hold his hand or whatever. And like, but I think as you get further into relationships and you find comfort and like complacency too, you start to do something that you've always done, but you're approaching it in a very different way where it's like, now I'm actually just really only connected to the screen. I'm not even aware that person is next to me. And I think it's really interesting that a lot of relationships will start with dates that way. So maybe we think it's a way that we actually do spend time together and it's romantic and, you know, it's romantic when you're like, just wanting to touch that person's hand and like you really don't give a crap about the movie that's on the screen. It's no longer romantic or good quality time when you don't even give a crap that the person is there. You don't want them to speak because they're going to interrupt what is happening on the movie. Like, and I think (laughs) a good like analogy for this is, you know, when like you're eating and you're watching TV or a movie and like you finish whatever the food is and you're like, oh, I don't actually recall eating that like I don't actually feel like I was present to my food and you're like now I just want more and I think it's kind of like in a relationship if that's all we spend our time doing is just these things where we're not actually solely having to connect to that person but we have these other things that we're truly connecting to and the person's just kind of tagging along then we'll always feel like disconnected from mm-hmm. them because we're not like you said we're not fostering that connection we're f- literally fostering our connection to the plot line of the movie. So yeah. not that this person <laughs> that. like all they're doing is watching movies and TVs with, you know, the person they feel disconnected with. But I think it's, you know, for all of us, it's, you know, what are you actually doing with that person? And if it's something that you do totally on your own, like then maybe you're just, yeah, doing something where the other person can coexist with you instead of, actually being together. And I think now like there's so many good resources available. There's so many books, there's so many courses, there's so many fun like couples games and like like prompt like question prompting cards. It's easy to numb out and to do you mean have screen time and watch a movie and watch TV because you know we're tired and we're burnt out. But I think that's just our programming. And so we can just as easily shift that. Yeah. And we can choose to reconnect. We can choose to rekindle the fire. We can choose to fight for the connection, but we both, you both have to, you both have to be committed to the growth of the relationship as well as growth of yourself. Yeah. Because if one person grows and the other one doesn't, that's a challenge. Yeah. Um, and if one person's 
committed to the growth and connection of the, um, like fostering the connection of the relationship and the other one's not, then that becomes a challenge too. So completely really do have to be a team. Yeah. And I think like, uh, remembering that you are a team is like super like key. Like you do have to keep actually showing up together, not against one another. Um, and I think like, you know, have a conversation, like open up a foundation where you can, you know, not lay ground rules, but like more about, okay, so each day this is how we're going to connect. And like, we both need to commit to that even when we're tired, even when we're exhausted, because like you could be exhausted for a month of your life and a month could go by and you haven't had one quality it doesn't have to be a whole day, like one quality moment with your partner. And like, we have a thing where regardless of how tired we are, we don't just go to bed and go straight to sleep. We will have a conversation. We'll chat, we'll laugh, phones away, no TV, like nothing just. Mm. And like, if one of us is like starting to fall asleep or hasn't even bothered to, we will call each other out and be like, no, like, we have like a specific name for it. That's really lame. We're like, no, we haven't done this yet. And we do it. And it, it always feels better. And even if I haven't seen him for the entire day, like I, we can go, you know, four days without spending an hour together or eating dinner together. But it's like, if we can just have that five minutes of like landing again, then it like fills you up and you're like, mm. oh, yeah, that person is like, I am connected to them. But if you don't make yeah. a solid effort. And I think we can be like, well, I can't spend an hour with you. So I just won't bother. It's like, well, five minutes is better than nothing. And sometimes it's like that five minutes of real quality time. That is all you need. Not an hour of watching Netflix together. Like that's not going to do anything for your relationship. Like you said, you wouldn't like go and sit yeah. and watch a that's movie a- at your friend's house for an hour. Like you don't do that. So why do that with your partner? Like if you and I caught up, like I'm not coming over to sit and watch episodes of shows, like I'm catching up with you. And we just don't give our partner that same yeah. like um, time and space, I think. Connections, relationships, they're, they're fickle little little things. <laughs> but just keep doing your best, guys. Completely. And do reevaluate as you need to. Like be adaptable, be willing to change as you need. Mm. Like Brene Brown says, like it's never 50-50 doing one of you is always going to have something more happening, more emotional strain, more stress at work. It's never 50-50, but it always evens out. So meet each other where you are and, yeah, Yeah. enjoy the journey. I love it. So the part two of this one was all around – maintaining your sense of self, your independence, your boundaries, like making sure that you don't lose the things that you love when you enter into a new connection or even within an existing connection. And I think this kind of ties into another conversation we're having with one of the ladies at the um, yoga training the other week too about boundaries with family and friends and how challenging that can feel when you haven't been that person that does set boundaries and then all of a sudden you're trying to rework it and re re-navigate this connection that's has kind of been around sometimes for decades um so yeah did you want to start on that one yeah sure um I feel like I, you know, as I was younger, I was definitely someone who I was just like, what even is a boundary? So if you don't even know what it is, like there's going to be no means for you to actually create one. 
And then, like you said, as you start creating boundaries and you're, you know, consciously or unconsciously seen by that other person as someone who has no boundary um, and you start drawing a line Mm -hmm. in the sand, it's probably quite confusing to the other person because like, again, consciously or unconsciously, that's not how they're used to you showing up. I think in my experience, when I first started to actually explore setting boundaries, which really just came from a place of like knowing more of what I need. Um, and also I think if you're constantly letting someone cross your boundary, like you end up resenting that person anyway. So I think it's the best thing for both parties if there is boundary set, um, because that way you just feel better being around that person. You don't have to like completely cut yourself off from them, but there's a level of discomfort that arises because especially if you have those people pleaser tendencies or those good girl tendencies, as you start to disappoint someone and say no to someone, like that can be quite uncomfortable to to like get their reaction. And I think in those times it's, we can like bend our boundary again, just to like please that person. And I think like with setting boundaries, it's a, like everything else we've spoken about, like it's a test, like you've just got to keep trying it and trying it and your boundary will get stronger and stronger in time. And Mm -hmm. I think we let our boundaries go, not because our uh, sense of them changes, but because maybe we're trying to be accepted by the other person on the other side and we don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Again, this is not everyone's experience. This is just, you know, my tendencies and my experience with them. And you know, you might have to reaffirm a boundary to yourself multiple times before you feel really strong in that boundary and you won't back down from it anymore. It'll, and you know, cause I think, you know, sometimes boundaries are really about saying no. And if you're not used to saying that it'll be strange at first, but just keep, keep on doing it <laughs> and it'll get more and more normal. And that other person again, yeah. will learn your language and what your good for and what you're not good for more and more and it becomes easier. I think a lot of it's around respect for yourself and once you start to respect yourself then the other person respects you more. This is all on a subconscious level. I don't I'm not I don't think our loved ones, our friends, our family are sitting here thinking, "Oh, I'm going to disrespect them and push their boundaries." Yeah. <laughs> um but once you realize that someone is testing your boundary, I think it's good to look inward and be like, "What what boundary are they actually pushing or what boundary aren't I setting? How does this feel for me? What would a strong boundary look like? Because then you can slowly, slowly, slowly start to set that boundary. If you've been in a connection with someone for a long time, um, that's especially the codependent ones, they can feel really tricky to navigate when you're trying to get your independence back and actually doing rise out of that. It's going to be, and it needs to be a really gentle process because the other person's going to be really happy with this arrangement. We've been doing it for a long time and it works for me. And so why are we changing this? And it's going to have to be a really subtle, a really slow integration of change. And it's going to take, Jimmy, little bits of communication here and there, just keep planting the seeds, stacking those bricks, building that wall. Then ultimately you will get that sense of freedom back. And like you were saying, Holt, I think when people do test our boundaries, there it does kind of build up this sense of resentment. So that then can dissolve away because you're both feeling really respected and held by each other. Yeah. And I think like boundaries is something you need to communicate externally, but 
you need to get way clearer internally what the boundary is. You don't always have to communicate it externally to the degree that you understand it inside of yourself. Like you don't have to do that. But I think the most important part of all of this is you are very clear internally of what that boundary is for you. And I think that's, Mm. yeah, can just be an internal thing if it feels safer to be an internal thing until maybe you're ready to communicate it. Because I think as well, sometimes you don't actually know what the boundary is. You just know it feels gross. Like it doesn't feel right. It feels a bit sticky. It feels a bit like I'm being taken advantage of. And you don't actually really know what boundary they're crossing. And so that's why it's important to take the time to reflect on what actually doesn't feel right right now. And then you can start to navigate it from that place, I mean, from a, a really conscious, deliberate place instead of just letting this thing build up, build up, build up and explode, which we see happen a lot. Like people are just so worked up about something. They don't even really know what's why. It just doesn't feel good and you're just here and it's not, it's not right and then bang and then they regret it and you regret it and it's just a hot mess. So before that happens, I think try and catch it. Give, your, give yourself that gift of um, contemplation and then, yeah start to navigate that one from there. I think this has been a really uh, fun little episode having people. I love it. Right into us. I agree. It, it, I think it's a way to like connect more with all of our listeners, like while we're actually recording the podcast. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like it's yeah, and to, talking to them. <laughs> yeah. And just to feel into like what you guys actually want to learn about and hear about and that's really valuable to us and I think to the community. So I hope anyone that's listening that has been sort of sitting on a question you've wanted to ask but you didn't know if you should, this is your sign to yes, please ask us. We really, really genuinely love connecting with you guys, hearing from you guys, and we want to support you on your journey. Um, So, yeah, please. And if you can send in a voice memo, man, like... Extra points. We love that. Gold <laughs> star. So you can slide into our DMs on Instagram. You can voice memo us on Instagram. If you know us personally, you can ask us a question in person if you see us um, or message us on either of our personal Instagrams as well. Well, thank you so much for being here once again, guys. It's been a real treat for us and we hope you have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>